Salty snacks category is actually the dominant snacking category in the United States. Um, it is about like 60%, like 55, 60% of the snack category is actually salty snacks. Wow. So when you're going into dispenser, you're like, then why is like 99% of everything in a dispenser sugar-based? Mm-hmm. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy cozy in the the lit and lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody. We are in the final episode of the season. So thank you so much for joining us every week on this lit and lucid journey. We've been talking to guests from coast to coast for the last, you know, 10 episodes. So we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, But joining us today for episode 169 is Caroline Yeh. She is the co-founder and CEO of Sumo Snacks. Sumo is a savory edible company in California known for its munchable cannabis-infused salty snacks, offering some flavor profiles that I'm sure you already know, like fiery hot crunchers, salsa salsa verde tortilla rounds, and much more. They also recently dropped 100 milligram options, which is super exciting for our more experienced consumers. So with that, we're super excited to have Caroline on the show. Uh, We got to try some Sumo snacks ourselves, so really excited to have you and learn more. With that, welcome. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, in the last episode of the season, uh, it's been a great season so far. We've learned a lot, and we've really, you know, covered uh, the continent, honestly, and like different cannabis companies and different products. And, and of course, you know, what better than to have a whole new kind of concept we're kind of digging into on the last episode of the season. So we're stoked to kind of talk about Sumo Snacks and get into it. And, you know, cannabis and snacks have a, a long history together. So I think pairing the two together is like ingenious. So excited to learn about those. But before we start, let's learn more about you, Caroline, and more about, you know, how you ended up here and with uh, Sumo Snacks. Um, I have been in cannabis for about six and a half years now. So I started at Bloom Farms um, back in the med days. Um, I was most recently at Kiva Confections. Uh, so I was a director over there for two and a half years. And I joined Sumo about a year and a half ago and have been running uh, Sumo ever since. That's fascinating. You know, already, uh, you know, Bloom Farms and Kiva are some of the top brands in the business. So I can already tell that, you know, you probably had like a pretty good introduction to the cannabis industry by being able to see, you know, operations at scale and and really, you know, just interacting with consumers at, at those points. You know, is there any big takeaways that that you had from your previous experience that are, you know, translating into like your everyday today? Oh, I mean, all the time, uh, particularly Bloom Farms is my introduction to the cannabis industry. I'd been in food CPG for about 12 years prior to that. Um, and, you know, those were back in the good old days of unregulated medical use. Um, so watching that transition at Bloom Farms Medical into adult use was a really interesting period of time in the industry. Um, you know, moving to a regulated market for California was just a huge shift for the industry. Yeah. And then obviously at Kiva, the largest edibles manufacturer mm-hmm. in the state, um, we scaled so quickly at Kiva during the time that I was there and they continue to grow, but coming out with a lot of different product lines with Kiva, um, and just learning about how edibles, uh, sales and marketing and product works on 
as you mentioned, a, a massive scale um, was something that, yeah, I definitely learned from, I've learned from, and I continue to carry over every day. I love that. That's interesting. So, you know, I saw that you had the background in growing and scaling companies, but you also had a little focus on innovation. And I have to admit, when I saw first saw Sumo Snacks, I was like, how genius, really? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you think about it. I was even thinking about it last night. Um, you have the munchies and then you go and probably have some chips for your munchies, but you never think of, oh, maybe the chips could be my mode of consumption. So it's kind of an ingenious thing where it's like, duh, why didn't somebody think of this already? But really, I mean, we don't have any infused chips here in Colorado. So what you guys are doing is really cool and innovative. So can you tell us a little bit more kind of how Sumo Snacks emerged? Yeah. And I would say this is just like, um, I've been in this true a while. And just as you mentioned, uh, these products have existed in the unregulated market. And actually, I, I was a New Yorker earlier this year and I bought um, medicated chips oh, that wow. were oh, wow. non-regulated because yeah. uh, they don't have a regulated market yet. Um, but the thing is, is that the question was always, why did this die out? This was a really popular product. And people who see Sumo, they re and they've been in the you know market for a while, they remember it. They remember having those um, Medicaid products. And the other question, the big question is, is, you know, as normal consumers, um, everyday consumers, the salty snacks category is actually the dominant snacking category in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. It is about like 60%, like 55, 60% of the snack category is actually salty snacks. Wow. So when you're going into dispensary, you're like, then why is like 99% of everything in a dispensary sugar-based? Mm -hmm. Like, even though we as a consumer walk into a dispensary, we don't drop all of our food preferences and how we snack and things like that. It's just we adopt the things that we're offered. So um, in this last year and a half of um, running Sumo, it's just like one of the things I figured out is, first of all, it's actually pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it takes a good amount of um capital and funding in order to make this product exist. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would say that that is one barrier to entry um, that we've realized. I think the other really unique thing about our product is, and it, I think this is, uh, again, edibles in general, is we really designed the product so it would feed into our desire to have a snacking experience, that enjoyment of eating a bag or a handful of products, rather than what we're mostly left with in cannabis edibles, which is one 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 bite, you're done. Yeah. And it's funny because when I was at Kiva and we were coming out with Camino, we'd have people ask us, like, can you guys just make these unmed? <laughs> like, yeah. they taste so good and I want to keep eating them. Can you just make it unmed? And I was like, yeah, that's not really the business that we're in. <laughs> but I understand now the impetus behind that desire. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. I'm like that with chocolate bars. I'm like, I love chocolate and <laughs> it's so painful to have like one little piece to, you know, I'm like a 10 milligram guy or a five milligram and not too much more else. It just kind of like takes the fun out of the experience. So yeah. that's my biggest thing is like the second that somebody comes out with like a whole chocolate bar that's 10 milligrams, like I'll probably buy like 40 of them and just like stock them up because that's what you want. I'm like used to that. So already what you're saying, I mean, you're hitting it on the head and like really it sounds like what you did was like put your ear to the ground and really try to understand consumers and how they're going to think and what they're going to want ultimately. And and then you try to recreate that experience for consumers. I mean, even like your product offering are all like, you know, things that are pretty common that, that we're going to recognize. Like we had 
you know, I'm not sure the name of it, but like the, you know, like the Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, yeah I guess we can call it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we had them last night and they were phenomenal and like they taste so good. And Lucy got like a nice buzz off it and she was sitting there like, <laughs> I didn't even have that many. And oh I my had, gosh. Like, yeah. It was so funny. I forgot I had tried them because they were just like in the, in the drawer and I like had a couple and I'm like, oh, these are so good. And then a couple hours later, I was like, Jared, what is the matter with me? <laughs> I was like, was it that joint we smoked? And then I realized I was like, oh my gosh, I had some of those sumo snacks. And so they definitely work. And they kind of sneak up on you a little bit, but it's fun. You it's know? fun. You can still, like you said, you can enjoy it. And it's like a snack size bag to where like you have like limits too, but you can like still enjoy everything within there and, and get an experience out of it. Um, one thing though, that we did notice right off the bat when we pulled them out, you know, the samples out of our box and we're checking everything out was that your guys' packaging was incredible. It looked as if like it was like a mainstream, you know, chip company, I guess, that we'd all think of. It reminded me of, of those bags where they had, you know, nutrition facts and labels and, and all these different things. And that's something that we're not really used to, I guess, in cannabis right now. I think cannabis is still trying to catch up to these mainstream, you know, CPG concepts where we have to, you know, go the extra step and provide nutrition labeling and, and all these facts and ingredients and stuff. And there's still a lot of companies out there that aren't going in that, that level of detail. And so we were already, we're, you know, we trusted your product. We thought it was great. We thought you guys took the extra time to, to make it seem very trustworthy and, and realistic too, and, and uh, put basically consumers' minds to ease. So tell us a little bit more about that. And I know it probably took a lot to, you know, produce all that, but it's really appreciated on the end of the consumer. Uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, my history of working with um, both Bloom and Kiva, which are very design-driven companies, um, plays a good part into that. But also my background in food CPG mm. has also played a part in that because I would say that at Sumo, we it, the product comes first. Um, the product and, you know, this is core to our values is it, we say flavor first. And I think that ties into the way we brand and package, too, because one thing you bring from the food world is that if it doesn't taste good, it's not going to sell. It, and that comes into cannabis because, again, with the med days, I mean, med days, we didn't really have to do anything right we <laughs> could medicate really anything we wanted mm -hmm. it didn't have to taste good because you're using that reasoning was like well it doesn't have to taste good it has uh cannabis in it so anybody will just buy it and just that's just not how consumers buy anymore mm -hmm. um in the regulated markets it's just like well you know they they want things to a taste good they want things to be packaged nicely. They want it to feel trusting and reliable. And I think all of that feeds into sort of what you're speaking to, which is as a company, yes, we're a cannabis company, but for me, um, it's a cannabis company where we really care about the taste and the value and the look of our product too. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, and those bright colors that you see, um, exactly what you're saying is we want it to be able to fit imagine that it could fit onto a supermarket shelf. I mean, you know, one far off day that I hope will come sooner rather than I imagine is I hope one day the cannabis industry evolves so that like alcohol, like cigarettes, we can be sold in a normal store, yeah. uh, in a grocery store, in a, in a liquor store or in a, you know, any type of convenience store. Mm -hmm. I hope we can destigmatize the product to hit that point at which point our product would fit in great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? I could even see, yeah, like at a gas station or something. That would be fun. Well, even just like the yeah. dispensary experience. We went to one the other day and we were talking about that, like the juxtaposition of like a liquor store versus 
a dispensary and and this is more on like the dispensary operations end but we were talking about like a liquor store you're lucky if you get like one employee maybe two employees working the whole thing and then there's just one person at the counter and it you know if it, it goes it flows and it works out but a dispensary there was five bud tenders and three people probably in the back doing stuff and just from the you know the efficiency standpoint I, i'm sure there's a lot there to be gained by just you know maybe not being so restrictive with the regulations and if it was set up like a bodega and I can go in there and chop through stuff and pull it off the shelf and look at it and read through the ingredients and stuff and, and compare stuff, I think that would be a whole new experience for consumers. So I'm down yeah, with it. And I think this just goes back to the 100% the stigmatization of cannabis yeah, um, and the fear that the general public has around cannabis hugids and consumption and people who purchase. Um, yeah, it's just this massive power of uh, stigmatization and the war on drugs, which limits our access. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of cannabis consumers would agree. It's just like we all think that cannabis is safer than alcohol. In many ways, yeah. it is. Mm -hmm. So why are we why do we so limit the access to it? Why do we make it so hard for consumers to obtain? Mm -hmm. Even down to exactly what you're saying is the access and the buying process of it is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to be like vetted before like the dispensary. Like, you got to like show them your ID just to get into the store. And it's like an alcohol store, a liquor store. I could just walk right in. And like the most that might ever happen to me in my past was maybe they'd be like, you know, show me your ID if you're over the 21. But now I'm like, you just walk right in. You can pick stuff up. You can make it all the way to the, the checkout before they start checking for an ID. And I'm cool with that. I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with it. We're all adults. That's why they put purchasing limits and ages on this stuff. And so I totally agree. I think you're right that, you know, there, there's still a lot, you know, a long way to go, I guess, in the destigmatization part. And then also with products like yours of just telling people that, you know, this method of consumption is totally fine. I think, uh, you know, a, a method of what you guys are doing is just creating a more valuable and respectable product. Yeah. No, and that's what I was thinking about. You're talking about destigma, like destigmatizing cannabis. Like, what per better way to do that with than these chips, right? Like, I'm telling you, I've never seen infused chips in a dispensary, and it's just so simple. It's a, a snack we all use and eat <laughs> and love, and so it's perfect. I even think that it's great for you know new consumers. You know, it, it offers something different to them. Maybe you know if they don't want to try the sugary, you know chocolates and gummies and all of those mm -hmm. items. So I love the chips. Um, can you tell our consumers a little bit more about your flavor offerings and maybe why you picked those? Yeah. And I think uh, Jared touched on this a little bit, which is we picked really, we picked things that were popular, mm -hmm. things that we all enjoy already. So uh, yes, I like Cool Ranch flavor. Huh? I like ranch flavor chips on tortilla chips. And I mean, Yes, we, as you mentioned earlier, we all love Cheetos and Fiery Hot Cheetos. So for us, <laughs> it's like, how do we take these beloved flavors and formats and translate that into cannabis? And that's what we did. So it's just like, you know, it's not a huge leap to figure out, oh, what do we love to eat off of the snack aisle? And these are the things that are the best-selling flavors, the best-selling categories, the best-selling products. We love to eat those things. So um, I... I, again, that translation into a dispensary is because I'm walking to a dispensary, that doesn't mean I no longer love mm -hmm. Cheetos or, mm -hmm. you know, all these snacks. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, I, California might be different. We haven't really dove that much into every product that's in California. So tell us a little bit more about maybe, you know, what do, what do dispensaries think of this? Like when you first approach them, are they, are they used to snacks like this? I know, like you said, this is something that maybe is familiar on the black market, but are dispensaries saying, you know, we need this? And are you seeing any resistance there on that end? 
Yeah, and I think um, we've been very fortunate is that there's been a lot of enthusiasm um, for our product because, like I, I mentioned, the the category here for the edibles category here in California, we are dominated by number one gummies and then the number two category is chocolate. So it's all sugar. Mm -hmm. um, there are a handful and I very mean very small handful of some companies that are working kind of with the savory side. But, you know, one of the things learning from Kiva also is there has always been the small but vocal minority of folks are saying, I don't want to eat sugar um and have these different dietary requirements mm -hmm. so this wasn't a huge factor into what we what we were doing but um our some of our products are gluten free and dairy free but the other thing of that was that the 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 value of again not having sugar is incredibly valuable and the other thing is just like Gummies have dominated the market here in California for a few years now, and people are tired mm -hmm. of it. People have what I call gummy exhaustion is the reaction is, oh, my God, it's another gummy. Yeah. Yeah. So the reaction from buyers and dispensaries is very enthusiastic because they're like, oh, this is something that knew, mm -hmm. like legitimately knew um, that my – uh, customers might be interested in trying. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's why I was excited about it. I was like, I've never even seen this. Like, this is so fun. Like you said, I don't really want to hear about another gummy. I mean, there's so many out there. Yeah. I can have so many chocolate bars, but chips, this is fun. Yeah, I think it's a unique way to consume too. Like we said, like we keep saying is that, you know, this isn't something you normally find. And then I think people are just going to find the portability of it too. Just like I could throw it in a bag and take it somewhere with me or just have it or munch on half the bag. And I still get some experience out of it versus, you know, even if somebody does like the gummies like we started off with or the chocolates, I still don't think companies have necessarily solved the problem of like creating the full experience to where um, like even a company here in Colorado, we've really loved these things that are similar to Skittles, but it's still like I can have one Skittle <laughs> and I'm like the type of guy where I'll be honest, like I get a bag of Skittles and I eat the whole bag. So I think what you're doing is just you're, you're also addressing this this bigger kind of like elephant in the room with uh, the, the full experience of like whatever we're trying to, if I'm eating an edible, I want the experience, you know, like um, not just have like a piece. So I think that's really cool. Um, so this, you know, kind of leaves me questioning though, like what's next? You know, you've kind of, you got it this far and everything's that cool and I love all of it. You know, do you have any other plans to bring any other type of, you know, savory snack to the market that's similar to these? Yeah, absolutely. So I would start off by saying that we are a snack platform mm -hmm. um, so that it, even though our first SKUs are all coming out, which are savory snacks, what I say is we are exploring multiple snack categories um, and it's not just chips um, that basically the only thing I'm not interested in is working in either gummies or chocolate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything else is pretty much up for grabs. Um, but yeah, we do have some exciting things that are coming up. So next month, you know, going back to the releasing popular flavors, you know, when we, when we came out, we missed a couple flavors. So we're going to be releasing those flavors into market next month. And nice. the flavors we missed out were nacho cheese and chili limon. Um, we totally missed those flavors. So we're going <laughs> to, introduce those uh, next month into the market, uh, again, within that 100 milligram sharing size. Uh, we have a couple of celebrity partnerships, uh, which are exciting things that are coming up in the next six months. Um, I can't disclose those, though, um, you know, 
You can all check back with us and <laughs> yeah. see what we're doing. Um, happy to fill you in on that when the time is right. But we do have those kind of fun pro- products uh, coming out. Um, and then, like I said, for next year, um, there are going to be products in other categories that we come out with. Um, all related to snacks, all related to snacking, but it might not be another chip. Very cool. Well, that's exciting. So everybody just stay tuned. Um, But one thing I was just thinking about is when you're talking about these new flavor profiles, how exactly do you guys infuse the chips? Because I know, you know, with gummies, you know, we would use like an oil. But so how do you infuse Mm. the chips? We do it the same way. It's an oil. It's a it's a, you know, um, cannabis is a fat based um, product. So the best thing to do is homogenize it within another fat. So what we do is we we have the base product and we infuse an oil, which is then applied to that base product. And we do that with the seasoning. And so what's really nice, um, I think also about our product um, is that you actually can't taste the distillate in it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because it's spread over a serving and not concentrated into a bite. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we offer these non-medicated samples um, mm-hmm. to people if they're going to a dispensary or an event or something like that. And it's actually very hard to tell the difference mm-hmm. um, flavor-wise between some of our medicated and unmedicated products. You almost can't taste the difference. Mm-hmm. That's, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, it was funny. I was re- I was like so deep in this thing a while back and it was talking about how Doritos have like specifically designed their product to appeal to like so many different aspects of like a human want and desire. Like they talk about texture and flavor and like brain signals and all these things. And and one of the things that always stood out to me was how they specifically designed it so that your fingers got covered with like the goop and then you had to like lick them off. And I just like thought about that with like your products of like, that takes that to a whole new level of like, you better clean your fingers because <laughs> like, that's like where all the good stuff's at. <laughs> oh every bit of distillate off there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like the flavoring too is so good that I don't even think you'd be thinking about the distillate as much as like, let me get the rest of this, this seasoning and flavor. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fun. I don't know. I could already see how, you know, these could be a lot of fun to consume. I could see, you know, something it's like a shareable with your friends and it's a new way to kind of approach it and, and consume cannabis versus, like you said, the industry standard with other edibles. Yeah, and that's also something that we want to highlight with our product is. Uh, cannabis use can be a very isolating experience Mm. in that, you know, if you're at home, we're not, we're technically not allowed to consume it publicly, right? Mm. So we can't consume it in public spaces. Many private spaces also don't allow us to consume it. So if you're staying at a hotel or something like technically, you're not supposed to be consuming cannabis. But what we wanted to do, so, you know, so a lot of that leads to you isolating at home, consuming cannabis by yourself, you know, maybe you're eating a gummy or smoking a joint or something like that and you're doing it very much privately at home but with sumo the other thing we want to tap into is the sociability of sharing you share snacks you share chips with your friends we want people to do that too mm-hmm. and very much like you're saying is grab a bag stick it into your backpack take it to the beach take it to the park mm-hmm. take it to a picnic and share it with people mm-hmm. so we want to get back to you know cannabis on the other hand also has this very strong history of sharing mm-hmm. um it's one of the things i really love about this industry is that people are so amazing about that mm-hmm. but we want for the consumers we want to get it back to that how do we share that experience mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we really should because, yeah, you're totally right. I think with just social consumption kind of being the issue that's really kind of starting to percolate and kind of be addressed in some areas, it has made it hard to kind of share the experience. And you're totally right. I've never thought about, you know, the isolating factor of it. Um, but I bring, bring, bring up, you know, are you guys in any talks with, you know, consumption lounges or anything of like stocking? Because, I mean, I could see snacks being big at a consumption lounge, too. Yeah. And actually, um, it's pretty cool. First of all, we're at the woods in WeHo. So that's Woody Harrelson's uh, dispensary. And they're about to open their consumption lounge, which, by the way, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. Um, So I encourage people to check it out just because it's cool. Um, There are some consumption lounges that are opening in California. They're pretty big in Palm Springs. And there's also... Um, and it, you know, depending on your locality, a lot of times if you're in a consumption lounge that's outdoors, you can't smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially all you can do is either drink or eat edibles. Mm-hmm. So it's very, our product is very much geared towards that crowd. Um, so we're, we're definitely trying to get into more consumption lounges. I would say the challenges is just, there just aren't very many of them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I know that's a conundrum here in Denver. I mean, we have some consumption lounges and the big problem is like the HVAC system. Like, how are we going to get everybody to be able to consume and smoke a joint? And uh, we actually talked to some guys also in California, one of the last couple episodes, and they had an infused cocktail. And we're like, well, this is how, you know, these consumption lounges (laughs) could have different options, right? You can have an infused cocktail. You can have some chips. Like, we don't have to worry about the HVAC system. So I love that these new products are coming online because it's just honestly making things much easier. Yeah, I think with cannabis, you know, another uh, thing about this industry is uh, there are laws and then we figure a way to work with those laws. (laughs) And that's, you know, the legacy of an industry that has historically been illegal is you figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, Yeah, you really do. You know, and you talked about New York and and I think that's going to be the market that really kind of shifts everything, I think, because like you said, you know, the underground market's there, it's established, they're already doing stuff, it's already moving and grooving, and it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to overlay, you know, a legal market over the top of it and kind of see how that shakes out. Like we've talked in the past, you know, it's still a struggle in California because it's a very similar situation there in California where the black market's still very strong and you have a legal market and there's a lot of regulations in the legal market and it just creates this odd dynamic. So, I think um, the next few years in cannabis are going to be really interesting. And I think uh, I or I not I think, but I I truly believe that it's probably going to get easier for cannabis operators just because I think the lid's going to be blown off of some of this stuff and the stigma is going to be kind of pushed to the wayside. And like we have to make real progress on, you know, uh, the social equity piece of it that's been really hampering the industry. And then also just, you know, the, the realities of like the regulated market these days where it's really hard for operators to to produce these legal products. And if that's if that's the area that we want to kind of stand and be be here in 10 years, I think we have to do more to to listen to these operators and figure out, you know, how we can make it work for them and make it work for consumers. Yeah, we can only hope that that's going to be the case. It's been a very tough year for cannabis in California. Mm-hmm. The we did see an overall decline in the amount of taxes we we're bringing in in the first and second quarters, and I think in reaction to that, the state has passed certain laws um, to help out the industry. And I'm hoping because I think a lot of people, um, not just 
the regulators, but business people and just the general public really think that cannabis were just flooded with cash and that it's just, you know, money is rolling in all the time. And the fact is, is it's a really, really difficult industry to Mm -hmm. be operating in. We are highly regulated, um, which really interferes with our ability to do many of the things we'd like to do. And, and, you know, those market forces really kicked in this year in California. Um, there's a lot of consolidation. There are a lot of businesses closing. And that's the reality of cannabis. It's a, it's a tough world. We we aren't flooded with cash. It's, and the cost we have to operate is incredibly high. So I hope, too, that, um, that regulators and everyone else learns from California, learns from the industry, and really helps equalize access. Because I really think um, that big barrier of why the black market is three times larger than the regulated market in California is about access. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That's 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, like I said, I still think that, you know, a lot of these things are just now coming to light. And I think uh, what's happened in California was really interesting and unique because the operator, the regulators really did have to take a step back and see just through the data, like you said, the tax data coming through saying, you know, this ain't working. And so they had to, you know, reconfigure some stuff. So like I said, I think that's going to kind of percolate. We're in here in Colorado and we're seeing a lot of similar issues. You know, there's already I saw there's different, there's four different dispensaries this week alone that are, that got shut down because of unpaid taxes. And uh, I think at some point that when operators getting shut down because of unpaid taxes, and then we're looking at maybe the taxes are, you know, pretty damn high anyways. And, you know, the operating fees and the licenses and the licensing structures and how you get a license and all these things, it's all going to be kind of brought to light. And and there's a hell of a lot more people, like you said, on the black market who would like to be part of the the legal market than the other way around. So uh, it's only, you know, the pressure is going to be on one end pushing in. So uh, something's got to shift at some point. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right, Caroline. Well, I had one final thing that we forgot to mention. Uh, one really interesting and exciting thing about your brand is you guys just dropped the 100 milligram options. So can you just quickly tell us about why you chose to do that? Yeah, totally. I mean, the reason why we did it is because people medicate in different ways. So I may have a I might max out at five milligrams. I definitely know people after being in the industry for this long, they can take down 150, 200 milligrams, no problem. I know I knew someone who could eat two Kiva bars and be fine. (laughs) I'd be like, uh, I'd be in the hospital probably or trying to get into one if I consume that much. But because people medicate differently, we want to give them options. We want to be able to say, we get it. Mm-hmm. You medicate differently. Let's give you options to do that. Yeah. No, I love that. And it's way better for them. You know, I, I know, especially on the medical side, you mm-hmm. know, there's definitely higher milligram edible options. So I love that versus them having to buy like six bags of chips. You know what I mean? They're like, we can just do it with the one. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's fun. You know, hearing your story, too, it's like full, full circle on that because that's like your, the area you started in. So I'm sure you have a very good understanding of that market and their needs. And so I just think this whole thing is really cool of like, it seems like you really have your ear to the ground and you're listening to the consumers, which is what ultimately we want. That's great. We try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are doing great. Yeah, no, I love it. I think it's super fun. So for all of our listeners out in California, check out Sumo Snacks. On, just go to their website or their Instagram. They have lots of cool imagery on there for mm-hmm. you to get sucked into and get excited about. So check them out. Super fun. Um, but Caroline, we do have one final question for you. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I'm lucid. I'm working today. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's fun. 
Sounds good. Well, thank you for joining us on our last episode of the season. We hope everybody enjoyed it. Check out Caroline and Sumo Snacks out in Cali. Uh, but with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is brought to you by Yoohoo Digital. Yoohoo Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency specializing in website design, SEO, and social media management for cannabis and hemp businesses. Learn more at www.yoohoodigital.com.